Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Warning. This podcast contains spoilers for season four, episode eight of Succession on HBO, season two, episode seven of Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this week's very intense episode, <laughs> it's market moves, and they're moving oh! all over the place, up, down, all around, terrible, terrible times in succession. <laughs> Season four, episode eight, trigger warning, it's too much like the real world. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. In the airlock. It's getting intense in the forest. In Yellow Jackets Season 2, Episode 7, you thought last week's episode had a bummer ending. Wait till you see this week's episode. And in Nerd Out, we've got a Yellow Jackets theory from listener Nick. Coming up next, Market Moves. I want to be the CEO. I want to do it all alone. Rigging votes is my real test. Beating Lucas is my cause. I will elect a president to live in the house so white. In turn, he'll regulate. Kill the deal from inside. Market moves! That's right, it's market moves, folks. The number one source for economic prosperity. Let's grow that bank account, folks. We're talking about episode eight, America Decides, of the Succession television program, written by Jesse Armstrong himself. And it is, it's a tense one. And I think I speak for you, Rosie, everybody on our staff, and and uh, every listener of the Market Moves Financial Success audio program when I say, <laughs> I hope our next presidential election is just like that. I hope yes. it happens Exactly Just like that this. way. This is the American dream. To have if a you're in line, <laughs> folks, stay in line. Because we're changing the paradigm. It's election day. Tom, just like the future of American democracy, is a little bit on edge. He's under tremendous pressure to deliver massive ratings, an explosion of ratings, lest he lose his job. You know, this is the first uh, post-Logan election night at ATN, and it's got to be big. Ken knows the stakes. It's the post, uh, as we mentioned, you know, his dad is gone. He is now the co-CEO along with Rome, and so they've got to really make it happen. So he really puts the spurs to Tom, telling him, like, it's got to be huge. It's got to be big. Tom, in turn, is toxic and abusive as we like to his staff. We love that. We love to see efficiency. We love to see fear. We love to see lots of people fired and the remaining employees to live in a state of constant anxiety. That's capitalism, folks. That's what we love. 
And so Tom, uh, you know, really rides them and he tells them, like, let's put the most mentally unwell people on the air because that's what gets the ratings. And that's what our that's what our audience loves. Uh, His uh, much more experienced in terms of election (laughs) staff uh, says, uh, you know, we're, it says to Tom, hey, uh, your footwear, you gotta, you're going to be on your feet all night. You got to have uh, comfortable shoes. Those shoes aren't going to be comfortable enough. Uh, and then Tom is also worried that uh, he's going to have to piss his pants, you know, like an astronaut, which leads us to our first prompt. Rosie, when you have to get comfortable, total maximum comfort level, because you got to settle in for like a long drive or you got to be on your feet for a long period of time because there's a mega, mega, mega important election that's going and you are running the coverage. Mm-hmm. Very and maybe relatable. you won't get to go get to a bathroom because if you go to the bathroom, some malfunction will happen. Nobody will be there to fix it. What is your go to comfort outfit? Whew. If I'm running as I am, you know, multi headed corporations. I'll just wear whatever I want. I'll wear some Viore sweatpants. Yes. <laughs> I did like, I, I will take a note. I liked that the, when they showed different people who worked at ATN's feet, all of them were wearing comfortable slippers. I will join them. I will wear a, a big, cushy, expensive Ugg boot. I will be extremely comfortable. And then, you know what? Just to add a little chaos, just in case I got to go on a Zoom call, got to fire a few hundred people over the internet i'll just wear like a button-down shirt and tie it's pure chaos but i think it it does double duty um i for no reason at all i'm gonna echo your take and say that i would wear the viore sunday joggers (laughs) on my pants and also on my i'd wear one on each arm, one pair on each Ooh, arm. Oh, I love that. I wouldn't wear like a single pair on my upper body because then I, it would constrict my movement. But I'd have one pair on each arm, the pair the normal way on my legs, and I have another pair on my head. Mm. And then I would just kind of wrap maybe five or six of them around my torso to kind of keep that covered uh, because I, I believe in modesty and I don't want uh, I don't want to show too much skin, but I want mm-hmm. to be extremely comfortable. Uh, and I find that the Viore fabrics, again, just this is completely my unbiased opinion, are <laughs> the most comfortable uh, fabrics perhaps ever created by human hands. I think mm. you'd have to go to like some kind of uh, fantasy world where uh, elves create magical garments. Mm-hmm. Uh, to find a garment that is that quite comfortable. as comfortable as that. Yeah. It's really true. I like that. I think you could intimidate people with the amount of extra legs that you had kind of flailing around your body. You could stuff them if you wanted to make it look like you had multiple arms, some kind of Goro intimidation technique. Or you could use them to hide important documents as you go around doing the inevitable shady things that you would need to do. This is all... All stuff that I may or may not do, I don't want to lock myself no, in or, no, can't or commit, you know, can't commit. say anything that could be used against me later. But I think that's right. I think that's right. And you always want to keep people guessing mm-hmm. as to where your limbs are. <laughs> uh, Greg uh, has apparently been hanging out with Matson. He's been Best clubbing. Gregory Peggery. clubbing with Matson. He spent the evening at some 
very lurid establishment apparently forcing senile older men to dance, which is Mm -hmm. so troubling. It sounds absolutely haunting, but Greg is loving it because Greg is moving up the desperate succession ladder and he, he is climbing higher than some may expect. I gotta tell you, I agree with you. And Mm -hmm. I think what would be the most surprising outcome this season? You know, you could, you can imagine this character or that character rising high or, or bottoming out. But I think truly one of the most surprising, like, you know, other than Willa, Mm -hmm. Greg the egg ending up on top somehow or, or near the top is, would be so shocking. And I gotta tell you, it's looking likely. I, I feel like it might happen. I agree. And I think it's something that from the very earliest days of the historical documents that have shown us what has occurred in the Roy family, many viewers have thought, wouldn't it be so ironic and tasty and delectable if strange cousin Greg, who may or may not even really be related to anyone, and who is just absolutely useless, wouldn't it make a lot of sense for him to end up on top? Isn't that the topsy-turvy world yeah. we live in? And I do believe that this episode, we may be getting there. I need to say as well, like, I have, we all know, look, I have said I understood why Shiv aligned with Matson, but we learn in this episode that as many people suspected, myself included, Matson is a live wire. He, he does is. not care. He will tell Gregory Peggery some important, very secret information that will end up causing a big problem. And he doesn't even care. He'll do it while he's dancing with a sexy old senile man. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, Exit polls suggest that while it is uncomfortably close for those of you who, uh, you know, wouldn't want a fascist president. Yeah, you know, that um, small minority. Right. That it is. Looks as if Jimenez and Evis are going to take the night. Mm-hmm. The exit polls are looking good. Uh, it's important. We learn that the <laughs> ATN folks in the know who know about the poll numbers not leak that or even hint at it on air because uh, they could lose their election uh, certification something or other. And also it would be seen as an attempt to swing the election for a candidate. And I got to tell you. You don't want to be seen doing that. You do not want to be seen doing that. But my favorite thing about this information that they are guided with is that it then becomes essentially a battle plan of how they can do just that. And it is impeccable that they took the advice and were like, that sounds great. Let's do it. Shiv is, of course, pulling for uh, for for Jimenez, while Roman is marching and seacaling for Hermenkin. Shiv FaceTimes Lucas. Uh, she's still, they're still working together, of course, as we just mentioned. She wants Lucas to release a statement about the Indian numbers to get in front of that news, you know, and this is a great time to do it because the the nation is going to be absolutely entranced by the election mm-hmm. and the results of the election. This is the time to just news dump, news dump, news dump, news dump. Lucas drops that he has, uh, you know, been discussing India with his team and also, you know, Greg. Yeah, Cash. Just just, 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 just letting the biggest snake in the world, the most power-hungry, wild person, just let him know in a club where there was definitely plenty of other people who could have overheard. And that's not the only thing. If they 
were not hard of hearing as oh. this older true. gentleman may have been. True, true, you true. You know, I think when you are uh, clutching an older uh, man who doesn't want to dance to your chest and making mm. him dance, uh, he's probably not listening to yeah, the very— Yeah, his focus may be uh, Yeah, his focus is else. not going to be on the business— details that are kind of uh, moving back and forth. Shiv is, of course, alarmed by this. Like, why the fuck are you talking to Mm -hmm. Greg? What are you talking to Greg? Uh, And Lucas is basically just like, hey, here's a pitch. What about we just never say anything about the numbers? Prompt number two, Rosie, what is the best day to release bad news? The best day to release bad news and I say this as many years as a, a journalist in the entertainment <laughs> business. I will tell you, the best day to release bad news is at like 5 p.m. on a Friday night. That's I the plan, it. baby. That's what you've got to do. If you see a studio announce some news right then, fool, they do not want you to see it. Now, obviously, 24-hour news cycle, internet news cycle is kind of different, but that is generally the best rule. Of course, Shiv is absolutely right here. It's also great to release it within a very busy 24-hour news cycle. Matson is right. very unlikely to become the main character of the news here. Nobody's going to care. Oh, some fluffed up numbers. Like, that's just, that's normal. That's what tech people do. That's not going to make the news when you have people setting mail-in vote offices on fire and voting in a literal fascist. So Shiv is not wrong, but if you're looking to drop a press release you want no one to see, go for end of business day Friday. I hey, Listen, it's a great... It's it's absolutely a classic. It's tried and true. You know, if I say we're uh, we're going to be charged with insider trading, I'm, huh. I bring that up for absolutely yeah, no reason. Yeah, definitely not going to happen. Of course, this it's is never going to happen. This is where you and trade on the outside, make that outside money. I tra- I trade. I'm. It's all outside. All the trading I do is, Out is my house, outdoors. Outdoors, <laughs> touching grass and trading yes, at the same time. Never, never, never indoors. Never even or been inside, inside when I traded. Right. No roof. That has never. always been. That's the rule. Uh, Three walls, the ceiling no roof. is the roof and there is no roof. That's the limit. Yeah, What's the limit? That. Sky's the limit because there's no roof. I'm no not roof, inside. No I'm ceiling. Outside. That said, I always like to peg bad news uh, to whatever holiday is around if there is I was gonna say long weekend is great too if there's very if it's calendar dependent I like to do like 11 15 p.m Mm. eastern on new year's eve oh that's great you know something like that or I wait until uh someone famous dies someone Mm. famous and beloved and then I just kind of slip it in there yeah yeah that's really good in between the obits and the memorials and just kind of like oh inside of trading I lost three billion dollars but Love that guy. Rest in peace. This is a big phone call episode. Shiv uh, takes a call from Nate. Uh, Nate is very, very nervous, but he's also feeling hopeful, you know, because of the exit polls. Uh, We learned that a future Jimenez administration would not have an issue Mm -mm. with the Gojo deal. They just basically rubber stamp it and let it go. And we love that for business. Shiv is promising a new ATN for a new administration. Hey, we, you know, we're going to be uh, kinder. We're going to be gentler. Mm-hmm. We're going to be better. We're going to be, uh, people are going to love us. Uh, it's going to be great. We're going to be very, very, uh, very lefty. Yeah. And Nate is like, makes a great point where he's like, well, then why aren't you reporting on uh, the domestic terrorism that is occurring tonight that we're starting to get rumblings of on social media? Someone is attacking voting 
offices where they are counting mail-in ballots and what they thought was an electrical fire is actually uh, looks like it was vandalism. And Shiv's like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. We'll definitely got to cover that. Well, um, you know, what is fire? Who are people? It's who just set an fires? element. What That's is nature. A, yeah, what is it? What is a person? Uh, how does a person set a fire? <clears throat> Could it be an accident? Could, uh, what, you know, what is a flammable material? These are all questions yeah. that we could ask uh, and we will ask and will be asked over the course of this episode. Any question but who set this fire, I think, yes. is important to ask. That's very important. Um, that question no one needs to know. Ken takes a call from his ex-wife, Rava. Oh. Uh, she is panicked. Of course, uh, in last episode, we learned that Ken and Rava's daughter, Sophie, who is Indian, I believe, uh, was pushed by a Ravenhead person or a Mencken person, uh, and they made some sort of, uh, you know, kind of like racist uttering. And so they're already on edge. And uh, now there's this SUV following them. And Ken is like, oh, that's, sorry, that's mine. Sorry, I put I put private security on you, but and I didn't, I, I sorry, I didn't, I should have told you, but I didn't mention it. P.S., uh, you know, I... Everything I do, including secretly putting armed men on your tail, is because I love you and, you know, we're working on making Ooh. it a kinder, gentler world uh, for you, my my beautiful daughter, Sophie, who I love uh, very much. Maybe. We'll see. Um, Ken then calls Nate to uh, get on the line with candidate Jimenez, and he's like, uh, you know, hey, Dan Jimenez, when you win— Maybe you should look at tech for no apparent no reason. Yeah, no reason at all. You know, that definitely not because you should look at it to kill the Gojo deal. Like no I'm reason, saying, no reason. Just, just just look tech at it. Tech's dodgy. It's bad. Bad things are happening. Huge there. force. Huge force cool. in our world. And maybe you should look at it. Uh, prop number three. Um, I believe, although I may be wrong, that this is the first time that we see uh, candidate Jimenez. Certainly this season. So this leads me to my next prompt. This is fiction, of course. Work of fiction. This show that we take very seriously, so seriously, we've modeled an entire fake show after this show. <laughs> uh, the minimum age for uh, to be president is 35. But let me ask you this. Is it realistic to elect someone for president who is not 89 years old? Rosie, that is the third prompt. Look. Come on. It, you got to be 89, 90, 91, high 80s at least, literally, right, to be president? It is part of the American... Rule the American right. law. I think in the Constitution it says you've got to be like ten years away from dying, or you can't be the president. Right? That's like that's a big part of the American rule book. Because you don't want anybody in there who hasn't lived a full, and I mean full, like right to the edge life, like right to the end. That candle is all the way down. You don't want them thinking about just life stuff because they've done it now. They've done it. They're not going to be distracted. They've spent By many life. years. They've lived through multiple depressions. They have played <laughs> and manipulated the markets through those depressions and made very, very, very large amounts of money. And now they're successful. They're in their 80s. They're out yeah. here. They're, they're being presidents. They're not showing up for votes. You know how it is. They're old. It's what tiring okay. to be old. What's your ideal age for a president? President-elect? 102. I, I like it. I Lots think of that's life about, experience, lived a century. Right. They remember before these things existed, like tech. They can go up against right, right. tech. They say, what's tech? They don't have Facebook. They're not easily I'm manipulated. Gonna say, 
I'm going to say with no cybernetic enhancements, no kind of cryo tubes or okay, anything, okay. just like a raw dogging life, a human being that just lived, uh, you know, without any kind of uh, special uh, medical technology mm. things to keep them going. I'm going to say... Yeah, about 100, like 102, 103. I think so. I think that's the sweet spot. That's, that's what everybody spot. wants. So that you can get out of your second term by like mm-hmm. 108, 109 and then quietly pass away. Yeah. You know, happily. Um, Rome heads to the Mencken lair to meet with uh, the Menkenites. Uh, Jared Mencken is pissed that Rome wasn't able to deliver Connor dropping out of the race. And Mencken tells Roman that... You know what? It looks like we're going to lose tonight, but I like it. I want to lose. I'm very focused love, on losing. I'm very focused on losing. I think losing is winning. I think the yeah. new winning is losing because when I lose, I can throw just dirt on the entire process and say, hey, look how rigged this entire process is. Mm-hmm. And that will set me up to win the next time around. Yeah, he wants to destabilize the American government and economy so that he can take it when it's vulnerable. Very historical precedent for that. Don't Google who's done that in the past. You don't need to do that. But it has been done. It has been done. And I will say, this is uh, a scene that introduces one of the best word word uses this episode that will continue to go. He wants Roman to help him with the narrative. And you will now hear the word narrative come up in every other sentence. Everybody is worried about the narrative. Jared's dream narrative is that he was maligned and oppressed and pushed to the side because he was the real working man's candidate. But obviously that narrative could change. And ATN, sadly, or gladly, depending where your stocks are, for everyone, has a big handle on shaping that narrative, as we will see. Uh, Back at ATN headquarters, Greg is asking Tom, you know, important questions about his role with the company going forward. And Tom is like, where's my fucking coffee, Greg? And Greg is like, hey, man, I just fired 300 people. I don't do coffee anymore. It was, yeah, it was either 100 people in three days or 300 people in a day. Whatever the case may be, I don't do coffee anymore. And and Tom makes a very measured statement, a very measured response. Very realistic, relatable. Yeah. When he says, listen, if you don't get my coffee, it's going to be chaos and that chaos is going to spread and that and China is going to invade Taiwan and that means World War three and that means the nukes are going to fly and that means the end of all complex life on earth and like do you want to be responsible for that because you didn't get my coffee mm-hmm. and Greg's like well in that case if it's that important we should do something a little stronger no a little more powdery no what do you think about that so uh, I think very reasonably, <laughs> Just completely it's a very completely reasonable thing to do. Uh, Greg and Tom uh, snort a little coke off the back of their hands behind a whiteboard. And Greg has put himself in a terrible situation here because Greg did not want to do drugs. He didn't want to do. Greg coke. did not want to do drugs. He didn't want to do two nights in a row. He wanted. He didn't want to get addicted. He had. An, he was like, I might get addicted. Do it two nights in a row. And he decided that he would have to. He got peer pressured by Tom. You know, understandable. But I have a prompt for you, Jason. Yeah, good, good. Why is Tom so tired? Why is he so tired? Last episode, he needed to go to sleep at the party. This episode, he needs this coffee or he's going to fall asleep. He's so tired. Jason, why is Tom so tired? Low T, 
Low <laughs> testosterone. He's not taking his ATN. Uh, not taking his ATN testosterone pills. I think he's got to start taking them. You know, there are many products on Nugenics. the market, and I'm sure. Nugenics, for one, I think is one that uh, has comes highly recommended, certainly by older athletes of uh, an American extraction. Doug Flutie, for example, is, uh, has handled his low T problem through Nugenics. Uh, Nugenics, not a sponsor of the Market Moves no. program, but I'm just saying I think Tom should perhaps look into it or, or like a human growth hormone or some other kind of – uh, low testosterone amplifier that he uh, he should look at it. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's you're right to to flag it because, you know, maybe the t- maybe the T is low. That said, he did father a child <laughs> recently. He'll get to that. He'll find that out. He'll find that. So, but you know what? For now, for now, he's got you know good old toot. He's got the cocaine. He's going to keep going. That's going to keep him going for now. But it will probably make him tired tomorrow. Spoiler warning, Tom. You're going to be tired again. Is that the rule? You can't do it two days in a row, so you can you skip a day <laughs> and not get addicted if you do every I, I other mean, day? I mean, I do believe that when you go to school in certain states, they probably tell you that if you do drugs once or twice in a row, you will become addicted. So That's maybe right. if the books say so, it could be true. I don't think Greg needs to worry. That motherfucker is tall. I feel like his metabolism is very fast. I think he's going to be okay. I was very impressed, actually, by That's his a good point. skillful attempt not to do the coke and pretend to do it. It was he, that was one of my all-time favorite Greg moments. It was very good. But now they're both on coke, and that's obviously going to be great for democracy. Because everyone knows best decisions are made while you're on cocaine. Connor calls and he <laughs> harangues Tom about the pro-con stories that are out there on social media, but they're not making it to ATN. There is no con coverage. I have not even Where's seen Con's the face. Con stuff for the con heads. The con heads, says, they're on. coming. He says, come on, give me some sugar, man. Maybe everyone voted for me. You don't know. <laughs> and to which Willa says Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Until you count the votes, Tom, you don't know. Anyone could be president. Connor could be president. You don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Also, we discover in this episode that Connor, <laughs> and I think this is a bid to 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 be presidential. Yes, yes, is yes. a guy who says shan't and alas, he is. Willa, understandably, once again, the people's champion. Willa coming through here. She says, "Fuck Kentucky." when they discovered that Connor did not win Kentucky, which was one of the few places they expected him to win. And he says, no, Willa, not fuck Kentucky. I won't, I won't be that person. I shan't become that man. He says, alas, Kentucky, Willa, alas, Kentucky. That doesn't even make sense, but I love it because I use alas all the time. I do love it. Use alas, it'll make you rich. As polls close, uh, one of ATN's uh, Steve Kornacki knockoffs has a touchscreen malfunction and Tom... Absolutely now amped to the gills on the marching powder, reacts like he is coked to the gills on the marching powder. Mm -hmm. uh, Ken calls while this is going on. He's like, what the hell is going on with a touchscreen? Get that touchscreen up. I'm going to smash your head in like a soft-boiled egg. Delicious. Meanwhile, we mentioned... Rosie mentioned uh, earlier how there's this been there's this Rumbling. story about a, a voting center that's been set on fire in Wisconsin, a key battleground state. And it, it you know, listen, it uh, if you want to go by the facts, see if you want to be one of those people who mm-hmm. just goes by the facts, just the facts, doesn't it, question the facts, just the facts, which is like okay, basic. But if you want to be that person, mm-hmm. then sure, Menkenites did set this voting. 
precinct on fire. It also happens to be a heavily Democratic uh, Oh, that's uh, just a coincidence. Area. Just a coincidence. Right. Uh, Ken and Shiv want to know why it's not being covered. Why aren't we covering this? Tom says we can't cover it because uh, you think our audience wants to hear about how Mm-mm. their side is bad? No, they want to hear about how their side is good. And so we can't cover this. And Roman says, well, why not just say it was anybody? Why not just say it was Antifa? Why not just say, uh, you know, like uh, uh, it was all uh, communists that uh, that broke yeah. it down? Why don't we just do that? Why can't we just do that? And I, you know, that's, you know, if you want to just go by facts and what a boring life you're going to lead. I yeah. live in a I live in a world of pure imagination. Pure imagination like Willy Wonka. Yeah, just like him. Where everything changes to fit my whims whenever I want. Yeah. And I think it's a much better way to be. Definitely more fun. Want to eat some grass that's actually little mint yeah. flakes while you're burning down a, a voting mail-in ballot space? Do it. You can Do live it. that world. Pure imagination. Now, uh, there's, you know, kind of like a small wrinkle with the uh, the voting uh, center. It turns out that uh, some ballots were lost. Yes, there. yes, yes. Maybe 100,000, you know, some small amount. Just some small amount of heavily Democratic ballots. Um, and uh, this news sets Mencken HQ and Jimenez HQ uh, racing to kind of shape the post-election fire narrative. There's that word again, narrative. Narrative. Shiv meets with Tom. Uh, she wants to talk fire narrative. Tom is making smarmy faces at her, and he's threatening to blow up her relationship with Matson. and then he accuses Shiv of killing her dad, which is... <laughs> Kind of unhinged, but okay. And she responds by telling Tom that she's pregnant by him. And uh, to which Tom responds, is this a negotiating tactic? Uh, Prompt number four. Rosie, does Tom believe Shiv? I do not believe that Tom in that moment on the marching powder regime that he has decided to take part in this episode... I do not believe that in the moment he believes her. I actually believe that him saying, is this a negotiating tactic, is the most honest response. Those two are so far gone at this point. I mean, he just accused her of killing her own dad, which is cruel and also just patently untrue, no matter how stressed out Logan was. Like, they are way past toxic. They've gone to, you know sub-level atomic burn situation here where they're just consistently doing the most horrific shit. I truly believe that he does think that. Though, as Shiv walks out of the room, I do believe it begins to settle. Yeah, there is kind of like, oh, did that really happen? Now, Mm -hmm. I I read it a couple of ways. Uh, On the one hand, I think that he doesn't believe her. On the other hand, I think he was also like, well, she might be pregnant, but it might not be by yes. me. She's out and here fucking And that's why anybody. he said something mean. I did think that yes. that could also be it, the kind of nate of it all, the the open relationship of it all. Like, that is his ultimate cruel comeback because in his mind, he thinks it's very unlikely that it's his. Uh, with the ballots burned and the absentee ballots not yet counted, Mencken... Uh, basically calls ATN. He's is Mencken HQ is linked in with Roman. Roman is Mencken's guy, Mencken's ambassador to ATN, and Mencken just wants hey, just like say I won, just stop the count and say that we won Milwaukee. Shiv realizes because Roman basically says and Ken confirms that ATN's coverage tonight on the Milwaukee 
incident, the fire and the fallout from the fire and which way that state goes, will 100,000 million billion percent be shaped by the perception that a Mencken administration will kill the Gojo deal. Mm-hmm. P- period. That's it. They will go Mencken because Mencken will kill the deal and that's it. And Nate will so, not make that promise. So this is a very interesting and bleak episode. It is bleak. Very fucking bleak. But the thing I find most interesting is Shiv is at, in conflict with herself because now she's like, oh, I, I can't let a fascist become president because I'm a liberal and I believe in all these liberal things. But she has done everything along the way to be horribly complicit in this. And even I have to say, Kendall, I feel like he spends a lot of this episode. He's not being big boss material. He is in a moral quandary. He is in a moral quandary. Well, listen, like it's all well and good. I think we've all... You know, accidentally uh, help yeah, the fascist we, become president. Well, we've you know, it's one thing to invite uh, neo Nazis and fascists and uh, white nationalists uh, to your party. You know, to just come over and have tea and crumpets. I think we've all done that. But it's another thing uh, to to have them stay. You know, and, and I think then own your house. Yeah. And I think Shiv and Ken are dealing with the fact that, hey, I just invited these guys over for like a little uh, NFL mm-hmm. on Sunday. And now all of a sudden they're moving in. Is that what I want? Maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, uh, the ATN head Kornacki, Darwin, briefs the, the Roys and Shiv and basically says like, OK, uh, you can actually look at mm-hmm. this precinct which burned and you can look at the voter rolls and see all the people who voted and who and are registered be, and you who yeah, they you voted can, for before and yeah and they're d- either democrats or registered re- as republicans and you could basically say uh here's how they would have voted uh meanwhile Ravenhead uh, is on the air. You remember Ravenhead, of course, the uh, the ATN on-air talent guy who, again, loves his red mind camp a couple times mm-hmm. because of the wonderful Easter eggs in there. And it named his dog Blondie after uh, some German leader's dog. I forget who. Uh, he's basically on the air saying, like, oh, so I guess – uh, we're, you know, like uh, the fire only burned the Democratic votes now. The fire I, I is picky yeah. and they're yeah, going to tell picky. you who to who voted and they're not actually going to count the votes. They're just going to tell you, oh, these people voted and they are going to take your freedom as American voters. And of course, it's a masterclass in reflection and shaping the narrative. That's right. The, the 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 pressure is building. Shiv corners Greg and threatens to flat out threatens to murder him. This was interesting because there was no it was all stick. And I'm not even sure like what the what's the pitch. It's just like do this or or what? And I, he Greg asks, like, OK, what's in it for me? And she's like, I won't pull your intestines out of your butt. <laughs> that is what she says. I mean, I think the pitch is don't tell the boys that I am in bed with Matson, which of course he knows because Matson's just a fucking blabbermouth. Yeah. But like she did not approach this the right way because shit Greg is first of all broke. Second of all, an idiot. Third of all, he literally asks her for a bribe. She could have just given him like a hundred thousand dollars, which to people like us and people like the Royce is nothing. That's like pocket money. To Shiv, yes. to us, to market moves listeners who have invested wisely. She could have just thrown him, you know, 
little bit, a little bit cash, a little bit sweetener. And actually, Greg probably would have stayed quiet just for a little bit longer. Roman leans on Tom and Darwin, uh, the head Kornacki, to call Milwaukee for Mencken. Let's do it. Just do it. Let's just, just say do it, that do it, do it, do this it. turns Wisconsin it. in his favor. He's going right. to get the 10 votes. It's going to be great. Yeah. And Darwin is like, well, we can't really call it because, like, there's this whole process and it's got to go to the courts and all that. But what, what we can, if we kind of couch it as, like, a pending call. He's like, Tom, call, can you make it Chiron? Like can you make it graphic? Yeah, it's like a pre-call. Um, this is punctuated by uh, Darwin getting <laughs> Bodega Wasabi in his eyes and then Greg pouring Lemon LaCroix into it. Uh, luckily, Darwin is able to go on the air and uh, ATN makes a call. Mencken wins Wisconsin. Ken is uh, kind of unhappy. Connor goes on the air and concedes, basically throwing it to Mencken and saying, hey, uh, you know, it's uh, we lost. But uh, that Jared Mencken, he's pretty great, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, and in return for this, he will get ambassador to Slovenia. Uh, shouts to Luka Doncic and Willa uh, is like, well, you know, it's very, very sad that the country is going to be overrun by Nazis. But uh, on the other hand, shopping in, in Vienna, in you know, Vienna Venice and... for lunch. Yeah. Also, Connor does a little bit of a goes off script, does a little bit of a little bit of a jazz thing, does some scatting, threatens the country by telling them the conheads are coming. Yes. Uh, says, so what? I'm a billionaire. You'll have to find someone else's teat to suckle at. It's a terrible performance, and I loved every second of it. Thank you, Connor. Never see you again when you go to Slovenia. You're never coming back. The Warriors are keeping you there forever. So when it becomes clear that Arizona on the up and up is going to go red, now ATN is boxed in. They already called Wisconsin pending, but they called it. They didn't ever say pending either. Like, they just... Right. They just basically called it. They called it. And so with AZ basically going, Mencken, that means they have to call Mencken as the winner of the presidential election. Roman is slavering at the mouth. He's so happy. Ken, Ken is like, oh, my daughter, hold on a second. I have to call a timeout. So in private, Ken voices his concerns uh, to Roman and for, you know, democracy and diversity and the safety of his children and uh, all that kind of stuff. And Roman's like, fuck it. Who cares? Who cares? He says that, uh, he, he says, quote, dad's dead and the country is just a big pussy waiting to get fucked. Which brings us to prop number five. Has Roman always been this bad or because Roman's always been bad. Roman's terrible. He's fallen off the nihilistic cliff. And there is no yeah. coming back. Multiple times throughout this episode, he says, nothing matters. Nothing's real. It's all bullshit. Like, all we did was program a good night of TV. It's almost like he is so depressed and so unhinged and unconnected from reality after his dad's death that this has become like a game to him. And yeah. I think that as much as we know Kendall really wants to run the company by himself because he's a little backstabbing bitch... I think Roman has those designs too, but whereas Kendall wants it because Kendall sees himself having some grand legacy like his dad, I think to Roman it's just about winning a game. This It's yeah. nightmarishly scary to watch Roman this episode. He doesn't like Mencken. Go back a few episodes, he was calling him a Nazi. He, he just, he is lavishing in this chaotic kind of fucking moral void. It's incredibly scary to watch. 
It was frightening. I don't know if Roman has always been this bad, but mm-hmm. I do think Roman is the type of person who lowers himself to the level of the people around him. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, listen, the hotline of Jared Mencken is intoxicating, that kind of like powerful. pathway to power. Yeah, you like have the most powerful potentially person in the world on speed dial if you just kind of like push a couple of levers here and there. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really fired up about that. And I think that he also thinks that uh, nothing bad really will happen. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure, a voting place got burned by Nazis, okay? But stuff burns all the time. That's why we have fire departments. Why do fire departments exist? Because stuff catches fire. Mm-hmm. He's so he's so in his own bubble as well. Politics has never affected any of them. At the party, one of my the most prescient, brilliant, real things about that episode is that the party has Republicans, Democrats, all different donors. Because for a lot of people, as we know is true in real life, those people are friends. Yeah. Those rich people are friends. They they stay close. That's the circles we move in here at Market Moves. You know, it doesn't matter your political alignment as long as you bow to the God of money. And Roman, I think, has been so couched in that that he cannot see that Mencken is not that. Mencken does not come from that world. Mencken will likely not play by those rules. And also, I think there is an element of the, you know, you talked about Roman. Has he been always been this bad? Roman's always been like a troll and he's enjoyed trolling people, whether he's trolling Jerry. This is that full-blown edgelord bullshit coming to the forefront of like, oh, I can I can edgelord us into having a nightmare president, but he'll call me and he'll ask me what I think. All I know is why didn't, you know, stuff uh, uh, burst into flame every day and I don't see anybody caring about it when that happens. Something's yeah. on fire right now. How come nobody's... Fire happens it. every one second Nobody, and no one's talking sudden, about it. Now all of a sudden people care about fire. Oh, hypocritical. Uh, Ken goes to Shiv uh, and he says flat out, listen, Mencken is offering to kill the deal. Just like unambiguously kill it. And he admits that, hey, I want to run the company myself. And I'm a little threatened by Roman's relationship with Mencken. Uh, and so I have some uh, hesitations here. And she and Shiv goes, yeah, and that hesitation is also because you're a good person. Yeah, you killed a kid. Yeah, you've done other bad things. Mm-hmm. The, the taking of a life, the worst, but other stuff. Many not as other bad, as that. bad things. But you're good. You're a good person. And if you say, hey, uh, we fucked up the Wisconsin call, you can do that and you can make us do that and we can do that. Uh, now, she does not admit nope. that part of the reason that, uh, yes, of course, she loves democracy. Who doesn't? Come on. What, Everyone loves lead? democracy. Everybody, come everybody on. Democracy. Democracy's great. Hey, it's great. Hey. It's great. It's great. Pluralism. Woo. <laughs> she cares about it. But, um, you know, she is also working with Matson mm-hmm, to make sure mm-hmm. that this happens. So there is also that angle, which she does not reveal at this moment. Uh, Shiv gets on the phone to see if uh, Jimenez can can maybe promise or at least promise to think about killing the deal. And uh, does she get through? Does she not? She doesn't get through. She bluffs. I think she never even I think she called the number purposefully to not get through. Like, I don't think think so. Yeah, because even if she asked them. I think they would have answered. You're probably right. I I think even if 
she doesn't want to ask Nate because she actually knows that in that situation, she might be the one who could get Nate to say yes. But she needs the deal to go through. So she bluffs. Um, and I have to say, I'm, I've been supporting this bluff. season, but this is terrible bluff. I, I, let's talk about that. Uh, so Shiv bluffs and it's a very bad bluff. Like it's obviously, she doesn't sell it. She doesn't sell it at all. Roman doesn't buy it. Doesn't even send Nate like a security text to be like, just fucking trust me. If Ken calls you, just go along with whatever. Like, so Ken gets on the horn with Nate and he immediately figures out that Shiv bluffed. And so his spider sense now is tingling. He goes to Greg and he's like, what's going on with oh. Shiv? You know anything? And this is where he finds out that she's been working with Matson. He comes in. Greg he folded says, like a piece of fucking paper. I just I need mean, to say, like, Greg is standing just looking Shiv in the face through a plate glass window, selling her the fuck out. But you know what? Shiv should have known. As soon as she Greg knew, she should have gone to them and been like, I've been playing Matson so I could get all the insider details. She did not play this well at all. This is a sell Shiv moment. I feel like it's gone very badly for this sell, episode. Sell, sell Shiv. Not an operator, not a Mm-mm. person you can deal with. Unfortunately, I was thinking of her dad's quote to the to the children, all of the children, you're not serious people. Yeah, she's, she's not, not serious. serious. She's not She is serious. not a serious person at all. She's an unserious person at this point. This was really bad, Shiv. Like, you fucking chuffed it. That was awful. So uh, uh, Ken comes in. He says, you're working with Matson. She denies it, but she's fucking absolutely caught. Yeah. And now Ken is on the Menken train. Shiv is, uh, you know, pulls out her, uh, you know, final, like, ace in the hole, which is like, I guess I'll go public uh, and be like, hey, you're all terrible people. And you did this quid pro quo over the Gojo deal. And that's why you made the call. And, and Ken and Roman are like, we don't believe you. We don't believe you do that. So bye. Mencken gives a victory speech that is something out of an early Guillermo del Toro movie. Like he looks like he he's about to rip off his face and turn into a demon. This like is right old school there. fascism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mencken calls Roman. Ken maybe has a sliver of anxiety about the closeness of their relationship. This phone call, like he's calling my brother. Tom, meanwhile, is is being personally attacked for the ATN call. Like, he is the focal point of that call. Shiv uh, gets on the horn to Lucas. She's trying to muster some kind of response to this. Lucas is like, holy shit, you guys elected a fascist. Wow. <laughs> and Shiv is like, okay, get your head together. We need to figure out a way to fuck over our brothers and and uh, get Mencken out of here. Meanwhile, Ken tries to go see his family and his daughter, whose security uh, is now uh, very much a threat under a uh, in a in a nation ruled by Jared Mencken. But Rav is like, we're sleeping. Uh, Woo! That is uh, that is uh, the uh, election night in the world of succession. And it is a doozy, folks. It was a doozy. Definite doozy. I will say, now look, we said sell Shiv, and I do still believe that simply just because I think that the only way this ends at this point is with all the Roy's probably going down. But, you know, they say hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. What does Shiv know that you, Jason, the knowledgeable stocks and bonds economic type person that you are, you had mentioned that you felt like Ken could be taken down by somebody rat-fucking him with the, you know, whole murder thing. The little thing about the murder. The little I, thing about the murder. I feel like that has to be the front of Shiv's mind 
when it comes to rat fucking the brothers. Is it enough and does it do enough? Do you combine it, though, with them purposefully using the news to get a deal killed? You know, like, is those two things together, does that make enough of a problem to get rid of them, even though ATN would surely survive? I think you I think you do it like um like a one two punch. I think you come out with mm. so much heat on this election. I think you come out right away and you say, um, my brothers uh, did a handshake deal with Jared Mencken that they would call Wisconsin for him despite the absence of hundreds of thousands of votes, thousands of votes mm-hmm. that surely would have tilted Democratic in return for a promise from Jared Mencken to uh, lop the head off the Gojo deal as soon as he is in the Oval Office. And I think you lead with that. And I think you let that kind of boil and stew for like a week, two mm-hmm, weeks. Let mm-hmm. that go, you know, kind of wash around uh, the news cycle like two, three times. And once that is starting to like fade and shrink a little bit, then you hit him with, oh, by the way, he, my brother killed a guy. Yeah. And he told me about it. It was at my wedding. And uh, in Italy, uh, you know, after he tried to commit suicide or before or sometime mm-hmm. around then, he uh, admitted to uh, me and my brother and uh, that he uh, did kill a waiter at my wedding. Yeah, I think that that would be a huge hit, obviously, for Kendall. I do believe that Kendall and Rome could be seen on their way out and have the board do the Gojo deal and I think end you go up for three. with Greg. I think that uh, you Madison. go I I think you go for a triple too after you let the PS my brother kill the guy wash around for a little while. Then I think you maybe after a week or two weeks you go PS uh my other brother Roman was sending mm-hmm. uh, our lead counsel of Waystar Royco Jerry uh dick pics for an extended period of time and also sent our dad a dick pic yeah. at a meeting. And you know what I think that Shiv could possibly get Jerry on side for that if it meant a bigger payout for Jerry. I think Jerry is sick of it. Okay, let me ask you this. What is Tom's fate? Because this, to me, I feel like Tom's road is at an end. This feels like a Shakespearean tragic end to his ladder climbing. You know, he basically waited for the kids to tell him what to do, but he is the one, his face is being put all over the actual, the liberal news media, even the right-wing media. People are saying he called Wisconsin too early and it is his fault. And not only that, but he is in the pocket of Jared Menken. They say this man knows Jared Menken. He's an associate of Jared Menken. Did Tom's quest for ratings, did that set him on the path to ATN execution? Is he out? I think Tom, well, it depends. I think Tom is out. I think his career is going to be essentially over. He is the face of this. Yeah. Ken and Rome are going to moonwalk away from this. They're not going to take the blame for it. It's going to be all about Tom, and that uh, narrative is already taking shape. And I think as a result of this, Tom is going to find himself as like the, uh, you know, the CEO or the head of programming at, like, whatever mm-hmm. the Succession Universe version of The Blaze is. Yes, like yes, some, yes, yes, Some yes. right-wing YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daily for Cola. kind of like, yeah, for like a low six-figure salary that is going to make him very, very miserable and unhappy because he's working with people, like, who don't drink wine. <laughs> okay, 
And I do feel like, obviously, this episode in succession, as we said, feels very rooted in reality. But the last question I have for you is like, how far? So we know Kendall drops it at the end of the episode when he's on the phone to Rava. Next week is the funeral. So we know that's no longer going to be the finale. How far do you think that we see the nightmarish Nazi ramifications of Menking go in that final episode? Do you think it's going to like jump a shark potentially? Or do you think it's going to be more like ominous kind of ripple effect? Where do you see that going? I think we don't get too much more of it, honestly. I think when we leave this story, the election is still going to be being litigated in the Mm. courts, but that ultimately it will be Jimenez. And but that we don't go too much deeper on it. It'll just be about these people. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think one of the smartest things about Succession is they spent, you know, four seasons basically saying, look at how stupid these people are. Look at all the terrible mistakes they made and look at how rich they are. And don't worry, though, because they're just rich and they just really only affect their own world and i think it's an incredibly smart move that at the end they were like oh but now they are directly impacting you and your lives and who is president and what however you feel about that positive or negative that is what is happening i mean we see that the three siblings essentially choose the outcome of american democracy and i just think that in itself is the bleakest statement that the show has to make. So I agree with you. I think that we get the funeral. I think the finale is probably going to deal with whether or not the Gojo sale goes through. And I think we leave the world in a kind of bleak state of, oh, look what the Roys did. Up next, Yellow Jackets. Hot off the press from Maybelline, New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. We're stepping out of the airlock and into the wild wilderness of Yellow Jackets Season 2, Episode 7. If you thought Succession was bleak, oh baby, are you ready? (laughs) It's an intense time in the forest once again in Burial, directed by Anya Adams and written by Rich Monahan and Liz Fang. It's a depressing time in the snowy wilds, which we are instantly alerted to thanks to the famous Batman soundtrack hit, Something in the Way (laughs) by Nirvana. The girls are still mourning Shauna's baby, and the fact that they are absolutely snowed in like snow to the window snowed in is not helping their spirits. But Lottie notices, was it magic? We don't know. It's episode seven in season two. We don't know what's going on. Lottie notices the snow has stopped, and suddenly the girls are inspired 
to dream of spring and survival, they begin to dig themselves out. And in a move that will surely relieve many viewers, Shauna secretly buries her baby under some rocks, making a little baby tomb, substantially lessening the chance that they will eat the baby, I feel. She's keeping it away from them. The baby in odds are going down. Can you come, let me ask you this. There's been a lot of, obviously there's been a lot of conjecture that they might eat the baby. Can you, it feels like one of those, can they come back from this? Like, are, do you do you burn these characters if they eat the baby? I think that is why they did the dream sequence eating the baby. Yeah. I think because you you got that horrific, visceral shock and then the reveal that it wasn't real. Because I don't think you can come back. Now they did, if they did do it, they wouldn't have killed the baby because the baby did right. die naturally, it seems. But I do agree. I think that Shauna's put in her little furry baby package and she's putting it under some stones. It's a very moving moment. She does it where no one else can see. I think we can, for now, probably say that I think baby eating is off the table. Because I think you're right. These are characters people have grown to love. We see them in the adult timeline and you are meant to care about them and care about their journey and i think that could be quite hard to come back from as you point out shauna is not the only one who is horribly impacted by the death of the baby it's clear that it's affecting all the girls but none more so than ty and van ty kind of cries to van and says hey i I really thought the baby was going to survive i thought this was something positive for us and van Brings up a very good point, which also the showrunners have talked about quite extensively. What if the baby had survived? Right. What would you do with a baby? They're all starving. They don't have any food. Shauna couldn't breastfeed because she's starving. And it's just another mouth to feed. It seems quite bleak from Van, who is a bit of a spiritual Lottie follower. But we learn here, and I feel like this is probably going to be really big going into the next couple of episodes. Van reveals that she no longer sees her constant gay immortality, you know, getting eaten by a wolf, surviving, surviving a plane crash where she should have died, and also surviving her not dead body being burnt after she was eaten by a wolf. She used to feel like that meant something, that she was here for a reason. And Ty's like, you are here for a reason. I promise you, like, you can do it. But Van is on the nihilistic train to nowhere, questioning her place in the world and the wilderness and wondering why the fuck she's still alive. And honestly, I feel like it's a very relatable position at this it did. point. It, it, it really felt like Van has done a lot of living and learning. She's probably done the most mm-hmm. evolving of any of the characters that we've seen. Yeah. And that's why it's both fascinating and I think a good development for Ty that mm-hmm. we kind of see them rediscovering the chemistry a little yeah. bit over the course of this episode. Absolutely. And they are rediscovering it at Camp Green Pine, Lottie's wellness cult. I mean, wellness retreat. And the stage is set. They're an intentional intentional community. Intentional community. Apologies, apologies. Don't sue me. An intentional community. And guess what? That community has new members because every adult survivor from the core group is there. Lottie is there. Of course, she's running it. Natalie's there. Of course, she's basically joined the cult. I think she's playing a long game, but it's unclear. Misty turned up to save Natalie. She's been there 24 hours and she is all in. She seems to love the cult. <laughs> Van, Ty, and Shauna all recently arrived. So you have a little bit of a unsanctioned Yellow Jackets reunion. And Lottie's not going to waste this opportunity. Lottie's like, no. you're here. 
Let's pick some activities. It's like summer camp, but people probably don't have to give up all their worldly belongings to join a summer camp. Shauna picks self-care. She thinks it means spas and, you know, painting your toenails, but it actually means that she's going to have to look after a very cute baby goat named Bruce. She gets into it, man. She gets very into it. And I have to say, this is one of my, this is such good writing, but Shauna is just absolutely fucking sure that she's going to have to kill the goat. Yeah, she's And like, everybody is like, 100%. No, nobody says not. it. Like, nobody yeah, ever yeah. says it, but she's convinced that she's going to have to look after this goat, grow close to it, and then have it die. And I think we can understand where that fear is coming from. Ty selects the creepily named Renewal, which leads her to painting a cabin with a makeup brush. It's very Mr. Miyagi, very karate kid. Van <laughs> chooses foraging, but Van's also like, fuck you, I'm just going to forage some yeah, whiskey out of my car. Have... Like, I'm not doing yeah. this shit. I don't know, I'm not doing this. And I don't have a lot of time left. We'll get to that hey, later. Exactly. I, I'm going to do what She's I want. She's like, I got to make the most of what I got. <laughs> yeah. Misty gets left with guidance, sending her to an isolation tank, which she is less than happy to experience, Man. but where she ultimately treats viewers to a season-best sequence that has to be seen to be believed. But we will get to that in a little while. In the wilderness, ah, Coach Ben. Oh, man. He's still struggling. I love this is such a cool way to kind of, I think we're going to be ending this part of his disassociation storyline here, but he gets... He hallucinates getting a call from his ex-boyfriend or his boyfriend who is still, you know, not in the wilderness. But this time we see his boyfriend in the cabin and Ben is just fully invested in this fantasy and this delusion. He talks to him. He wants to know. And the boyfriend's like, no, it's over. You've got to leave. We can't do this anymore. And Ben kind of screams after him into the forest and all the girls look at him like, who the fuck is Paul? Who are you talking to? And Ben's kind of like, oh, don't worry, I'm I'm all good, man. I'm I'm doing good. I'm I'm doing okay. And he kind of has a creepy smile on his face, which doesn't bode well. No. Misty is digging out the cabin and she overhears Akila, Mari, and Jen celebrating her aptitude at Shauna's birth. Yay! Uh, Love to hear a compliment. But quickly, she also hears Mari reveal that she thinks Misty is more psychotic than ever. And I have to say, Mari is not wrong. Mari suggests that Misty actually did something to Crystal. Perhaps killed her. Well, you know what we say on this program? We were right. Mari was Uh, right. Mari was right. (laughs) (laughs) But Misty being the, you know, delightful and always innovative sociopath that she is, uses this intel to manipulate the crew by suggesting that they should all go and look for her her. dead friend, Crystal, which kind of wins Akila over to the side. And Mari, I don't think she's believing it. So this episode, if you have ever wondered about the rules of Yellow Jacket's cannibalism, which of course is a large part of the mystery of the show, we start to get hints here about how that part of the wilderness culture is going to be shaped because Lottie does a little speech about the wilderness when Misty suggests going to find Crystal. And it comes out that Lottie basically believes that Shauna's baby was a sacrifice that allowed Shauna to live. If you remember, the girls said, Mari specifically, tactless as ever, when Shauna was in labor said, wilderness, I hope Shauna doesn't die. (laughs) (laughs) And Lottie seems to have put two and two together and made a supernatural five and decided that the reason the baby died 
was the wilderness taking that so Shauna could live? And I think that that hints quite likely that we could, the killings that we see, you know, that opening sequence that kind of got the internet talking in that first ever episode of the show, we might be in a situation where those killings are sacrifices to appease the wilderness or to get something that Mm -hmm. they want. And I I think something really, we get something really interesting here, which is some of the JV squad, like Jen and like a couple of other girls who are like very not in the center of the story, they're like, oh, well, you know, if Crystal, if she's missing, if she's dead, like, what if we just ate her? And they are incredibly chill about it. They're like, could be a nice snack. Like, not saying. I mean, once you eat one person, and that was a person that you, like, liked, who was one of the most popular, well, not popular. But she was like the queen queen bee. It was one, yeah, it was like a main mover and shaker in this group. Mm-hmm. Crystal is just a weirdo. Nobody even knew that. Crystal, did anybody know Crystal? Exactly. Not like, really. That's we what I'm saying. Her. And they're like, you know, not saying I hope she's, not saying I hope she's dead, but like, no, if, no, she, no, no. if she was dead. I'm just saying if she was dead. It would dead. be like a waste, I hope, right? Right. I, if she was dead, I hope that the uh, rich and nutritious areas of her body are still worth eating. Yeah, I hope that we could have another delicious little group barbecue, little little yeah. fun delusion for full tummies. But Misty is not going to let anyone eat her friend. She's not having it. She goes out to search f- for Crystal, who she's pretending is still alive, with Mari and Akila, and does a little Meryl Streep-style performance. She cries. Oh, I can't do this. It's so hard. She's channeling her best steel magnolias. And she sneaks off to find Crystal before her teammates. Now, she says, Crystal, I'm not going to let them eat you. But I think she really just doesn't want them to find the dead body. Because then they will probably know she did kill her. Interestingly, she doesn't find Crystal's body at the bottom of the cliff where Crystal fell to her untimely death. You mentioned, does anyone really know Crystal? Let's talk about this. Yes. Was Crystal real? Did Crystal exist? I think Crystal existed, but I also think her quote-unquote death, uh, you know, it might be a Javi situation. It might be, you know, like... There's something odd going on there. There is something... There's a lot of... In this episode and previous episodes, but definitely overtly in this episode, we will get to the the big one, the big we were right. Uh, There is a lot of people seeing things, Mm -hmm. having full conversations that did not happen. Yeah. And I remember from the very first time Crystal showed up in this season and she was singing and she was out there in the backyard with with Misty seemed like a lot of their interactions were happening with no one else around. Now, people were saying, oh, we'll look for Crystal. We'll look for your friend, you know. So the assumption is there was a person called Crystal who was in Yellow Jackets and people seemed to be aware of her existence. But the Crystal that we know who was Misty's best friend, who Misty killed, it's becoming more and more unclear whether that version of Crystal ever really existed. And the fact that Crystal's body isn't there Maybe Harvey's mysterious friend took it. Maybe somebody already found it to eat it. Maybe a, a moose ate it. I don't know. But the fact it's not there is very suspicious. And I think will likely come into play in these next two episodes. 
Misty does not. Crystal never existed is interesting. It is, right? That is, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's interesting because there is a distinct lack of interest in finding Crystal. Mm -hmm. And there is, when you go back and watch the episodes, Crystal rarely ever interacts with anyone, if ever, when Misty isn't there. So I'm just very interested in what that relationship really looks like and how Crystal plays into kind of Misty's ongoing journey and obviously like deep troubles and struggles with her mental health. Mm -hmm. So she does not find Crystal's dead body, but she does find Coach Ben. And he's very creepy and calm and he shaved off his beard and he's about to throw himself off a cliff. Yes. He's just like, I'm done. Now, let me ask you this. Is similar to the crystal lines. Is this, did he really shave off his beard? Or is this, he's notably having a hallucination, a conversation with his partner. And it seemed, at least I read it as, the shaving was like a reaction to either that conversation or some version of him. Mm Mm-hmm has now intersected with this forest reality. Yeah, yeah. It's There's definitely some kind of strange acceptance that Ben has come to here that seems to be connected to his past disassociation delusions and the forest. And it's also unclear whether he is sees this as committing suicide. Like, he seems right. very calm about it. He seems like he knows what he has to do. And it is a very interesting interaction because for once, Misty does not kill someone. In (laughs) fact, he actually asks her to kill him. He says, Misty, couldn't you just push me off the edge? Like you've done so many times that you're a person who kills people. Couldn't you just do that for me? Give me a little favor. Please. And Misty actually, I have to say, and once again, we are Misty defenders here. She uses her evil powers for good. She tells him, I'm going to tell everyone that you were like creepy, that you were impregnated Shauna. She's like, she's trying. She's like, don't kill yourself because then I will control the narrative. Right, I will control the narrative. And she's like, and I'm going to tell everyone you're gay. And that one, he's actually like, I'd like you to do that. Please do it. He knows in his heart that that was the one fuck up that he had made in his past that he wished he could change was that he didn't get to live out with his partner. But you know what? In the end... A non-Meryl Street performance, I do believe Misty was quite upset. Misty breaks down into tears, and Coach Ben is like, actually, I'm not going to kill myself. Shocking. I I, You've, I don't get it. it. I didn't think he was a Misty fan. But you know what? I think maybe we're seeing him come up out of the depths of despair he has been in and start to try and be a little bit more active in the cannibal cabin community, which I know has been hard for him. Yes, it has. It's been on. But this was also, I will say, Misty's very lucky that this happened because she absolutely would have got blamed for that murder. Even if she didn't do it. Here's the thing. You can't be around... Listen, if you're around one dead body, it's an accident. You know, it happened. She fell. It's an accident. If you're around two, now the hard questions start. And the second one is somebody you already poisoned. (laughs) You already tried to Lest we not forget. I think at that point... Uh, you know, uh, the the uh, benefit of the doubt evaporates quite quickly. Yeah. 
X-Ray Vision will be back. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. And we're back at Camp Green Pine. Misty and Shauna have a little argument after Shauna tries to judge Misty about her penchant for killing. And Misty rightfully points out that Shauna is also a murderer. And not just that, but Shauna wouldn't have even gotten away with it if it wasn't for Misty. Shauna says Misty doesn't take killing seriously, but Misty's like, actually, I was the only one who took your murder seriously enough. That's right. And thank you. I didn't get a thank you. Yeah, where's my thank you? You never even thanked me. You were never grateful for it. That's bad. It's classy Misty home truth. But can Misty face some home truths of her own? Before we get to that, Shauna tells Lottie, I'm not going to kill the goat. And Lottie's like, bro, nobody said you have to kill it. Like, just look after the goat. The goat is innocent. If you look after the goat, maybe you start to look after yourself better. And this leads to like a massive revelation for Shauna where she kind of cries and Melanie Linsky, Melanie Linsky's at a high level giving a great performance. Shauna basically just says, I've always kept Callie at arm's length because I thought she would die or I'd find out she wasn't even real. Yeah. Which is obviously exactly what happened to Shauna in the forest. So it sounds like that trauma of the wilderness is really fucking her up. And I want to say, we always say it about Ty, but I'm saying it to you, Shauna. Get some help. Not Lottie. Just go to a therapist. Like, that's very sad. And I wish that you and Callie can find a a good non-in-prison way of bonding before this all ends. Everyone's having breakthroughs at Camp Green Pine. Misty heads into the isolation tank. And I really love this because Misty is like terrified to face herself. She is sure that she is going to have a nightmarish time in the isolation tank, that she's going to see all the terrible murders she's committed or, you know, have to deal with all the awful things that she's done. But instead, she just enjoys a magnificent musical vision Yes. Which features Walter dancing in a top hat, a human version of her pet parrot Caligula. She's standing in front of like a very Twin Peaks Lodge red curtain. It really was. It was like Big Lebowski yes. dream sequence meets Twin Peaks meets uh, meets altered states. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that even hints towards Misty's past is you get this really great illustration of the plane recorder that she smashed you get a little syringe from all the people she's murdered driving through but you know what she's having a great time she's laughing absolutely walter is 
doing a great little dance routine and then you see Walter pull out a Garfield phone. Iconic. I still want one of those. I wanted one ever since I was a kid. And as the internet so wonderfully deciphered, he writes in Morse code as he is dialing and you see it come up on the screen, I love you backwards. Thank you to those internet citizen detectives who found that out for us. Hilariously... Misty's only takeaway from her isolation is that Walter loves her. She loves Walter and they're going to be like happily ever after together. So she calls him and tries to make up. Walter does not answer, but she leaves a very unhinged voicemail, which I loved. She even does a fake, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. She admits to Adam's murder over the phone. Fucking wild Um, stuff. Cool. Uh, She's like, you know that thing you said uh, is true? But will Walter get her message? We don't know, because he didn't pick up. But you know what? It's not the only romance going down. Van and Ty, they find each other in the candlelit groves of Camp Pine. Why? Who who put out all those candles in the woods? Seems dangerous. Yeah. But you know what? It's romantic. And they share an illicit kiss. Ty's like, it's going to be a long time till I can be in this. And Van's like, bro, I can't wait for you. It's Literally. We don't, have that. We, don't, don't have, have that. we don't have that. We don't have the time. Don't have waiting for you time. Is- Sorry, don't. I don't have it. I've got cancer, and it's not one of those good kinds of cancer where people are like, oh, it's so lucky you got this kind, or oh, we caught it just in time. No, remember yeah, no. how my mom died of cancer? Well, now I got it, and I got like months to live. And Ty is upset, and Ty wants to know why she didn't call, but let's be real, it's because Ty sucks. Not it's Ty, Ty is but a, Ty's yeah, a terrible friend, not a good really person as an adult, just not doing not well. Dependable, let's not forget the whole thing. Ty's wife is currently in hospital in a coma. Where is her son? Who, by the way, Ty put her in that coma. Ty put her in a coma. (laughs) That's right. She's in a coma of Ty's making. And now Ty is off somewhere rekindling the... the, A teenage uh, romance. The romance, (laughs) her high school romance from the ashes. While her her partner, her legal partner, co-parent, lies in a coma... That she put her in. Mm-hmm. Terrible stuff. Terrible. By terrible. But this is a heartwarming scene. Heartwarming scene, but terrible scene. So, yeah. Lottie also has a breakthrough. And I want to say this is a big We Were Right moment. Jason absolutely called this like word <laughs> for word <laughs> last week. <laughs> and Lottie's breakthrough is a terrifying one because really Lottie is, is sitting creepy. with her therapist, who we mentioned seemed a little bit sus. And as Jason pointed out, we learned this episode that she is not real. Bum, bum, bum. She gives her some very bad advice. We see her saying things to her like, is there anything of value in this life that doesn't come with risk, Lottie? She says, Lottie, what does self-repression ever give us? Like maybe the yeah. reason you want to see in. these women is because the feral part of you is free. Yeah. And Lottie starts to suspect that something is up. And then dun, 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 the therapist transforms into the antler queen who has been a rare sight this last two seasons. Really has been. And she says, does a hunt that has no violence feed anyone before disappearing? So, is this just a straight Lottie hallucination? Or is she being, like, manipulated by the wilderness and the antler queen into this kind of magical thinking about the girls and having them all there at Camp Greenpine? Yeah, I think it's 
some version of the latter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't think we I think we're circling around it. Yeah. But I think it's pretty clear that whatever it is, is coming from the outside. And it's, you know, there there was a time listeners will remember not that long ago where we were pretty sure Lottie was behind mm-hmm. or in some form or fashion moving this kind of stuff forward but it's very clear that she's a victim of this like everybody else yeah um i will also say they said something interesting which is that they seem to suggest that nobody really remembers yes. what happened exactly that's about to i was gonna i have a big yeah, let's highlight get to on that, that. yeah so in an extremely bad friend move in my opinion Van brings her bottle of booze to the sharing lot. And it <laughs> seems very bad. It seems like they all try and encourage Natalie to drink, though I will say I think Natalie says no. So good for you, Natalie. But I was I was feeling mad about that. I didn't feel like that, that was, was good vibes. Shocking. Yeah. yeah and Shauna was like drinking and started yeah. showing at her. Like it was it was bad. And then she's like, I have very serious addiction issues. Oh, why don't you have a drink? Yeah. What? And, and Shauna's like, Folks. oh, you aren't you a fuck up? Like how do, you can't be telling us this. And I'm like, bro, you are bad friends. Like, I'm not surprised Natalie ended up so fucked up. But Lottie, I will say in a rare responsible moment, arrives and she's like, you got to leave. Like, none yeah. of this is real. Like, I'm hallucinating. But they're just like, now nah, we're wasted. We want to get wasted. We want to have fun and drink and dance and just enjoy our life. And in an unbelievable moment, which I actually had to watch. I had to rewind it to really check that they did this. But Misty almost kills the vibe by referencing the crash as, you know, that first summer. <laughs> yeah, <just> so <laughs> funny. And like, a, like, like a summer camp thing. Right? And everyone's <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, no. And also, like, first summer, I'm like, did that happen to you again? Like, d- d- what happened? But it does lead to that very big revelation that you were mentioning about when Nat asks everyone, like, how much do you actually remember about being there? And it seems like mo- they don't really remember very much about being in the woods. Now, this... Is a this is mind blowing to me because I always perceive the flashbacks as remembering. Yes, it feels like we and the way that the narrative has been structured and edited, we often learn things that feel very relevant to where the characters are. Yeah, in the modern day. So the fact that they sort of say, "Oh, for me, it's blurry," or like I repressed it, and you know, Ty says it feels like things have just been completely pulled out of her brain. That's very supernatural leaning to me. Yes. Same same here, which leads me, I guess these are just, I, I mean, again, I always thought that, that, that uh, the flashbacks were their memories, but clearly they're not. And so I think we can take them, on the one hand, I think that the upside is we can take those a lot more seriously. A now. little bit more objective. Rather right. than unreliable narrators. But interestingly, also, especially heading into the end of this season and what will be season three whenever the writer's strike is over, mm-hmm. who is showing them to us? And what is the purpose? How do these women try and navigate their lives with these memories of all the terrible things they did as girls? And Shauna does have the journals and Shauna definitely knows a little bit more because she talks a lot about shame and the terrible yeah. things they did. But Natalie and Ty... And Lottie, they all basically say that they don't really remember anything. I kind of related to this. I've been wondering if the Antler Queen is not 
any one of them mm-hmm. is a different entity altogether. Now, may, it might be a alter ego of Lottie's. I mm-hmm. think that that is in that's in play. E- that could or be even, the case. even an alter ego of Ty's. You know, we know right. nighttime Ty is like a separate personality that from is what we've seen. In, that is in the cards. But I also wonder if it's not a completely separate entity altogether. Yeah. And I th- and I am also wondering if, as with Ty, they are all kind of in various ways wrestling with their alter with their evil alter mm. egos. Um, you know, obviously Ty is the one that's you know most obviously in that kind of conflict. But I do wonder if the rest of them aren't having that kind of struggle, mm-hmm. but just not perceiving it as a completely binary, different yeah. person that's inhabiting their body. No, I definitely could see that. I think there's something really interesting there, especially because of that theory we were talking about last week about like the girls needing to come back together again to yeah. kind of like get rid of whatever the, the dark thing that they brought back. That could definitely just be like a different part of their personality that they had to repress. And also I think that the ant the queen being a different person is actually really interesting because in the episode five where at the end we see natalie's vision where they're in the plane and she sees the ve- the ant the queen lift up the veil from pausing that people discovered that she saw herself as the ant the queen i don't think natalie's the ant Antla- the queen but i do think the ant the queen represents a role that maybe they played at different points Mm-mm. maybe they all took that on maybe that was something they did or as you said, could we know that Harvey had a friend who told him not to return to the camp? That could be the right. antler queen. She could be the one who runs those woods. You could be in a much more s- simple witch style series. But I will say, the end of this episode, I think, leans into one of our big, really out there tinfoil hat theories, which is the like parallel timeline theory yes, where things are happening at absolutely. the same time. So the girls are talking and it seems like they're going to have a breakthrough, kind of this realization they don't really know stuff. But on Lottie's playlist, Lightning Crashes by Live starts to play and Van says, this is my favorite song. If you like all these outrageously well-selected needle drops, there is an official Yellow Jackets playlist on Spotify and there's just so many good choices on there. So they begin to dance. Misty realizes that it's snowing and they start to kind of have this party and it seems like really good bonding this freedom between them but in the past kid misty starts humming the song and that to me is because of what comes next it seems unlikely to me that they would connect that song to something good Good, in the future why would you do that? But there's this idea that those things could be happening at the same time and the song is almost kind of leaking through that ether between the two timelines. It's very interesting to me. So Misty hums a song. Shauna freaks the fuck out. She's like, where did you hear that song? Why are you singing that? And then she's like, you killed my baby. She slaps Misty. She's biting Van. Like her rage is just, it's overflowing at this point. And Lottie, as the martyr that she is she turns to Shauna Shauna punches her in the face Lottie wipes her nose she tells Harvey and Travis to leave says Travis take Harvey to the bedroom doesn't want to see this and she tells Shauna you want to get this rage out we need you here not like this we need you here present we need you here 
in a way that you can help us. We need you. You survived. The baby didn't survive. You need to be here. So Shauna understands the very bleak implications of this and just beats the shit out of Lottie. That was brutal. It is I mean, really, so it, brutal. To the point where I'm watching this and going, I don't, how does she live through, mm-hmm. there's no medical care out there. I'm like, you could die from this. I felt like, so they, I think they know where we're all at with fan theories and everything, right? Because yeah. it is so bad that when Shauna rolls off of Lottie, Lottie looks dead. The prosthetics are unbelievable. Her face is just absolutely swollen and cut. And Lottie didn't, she never fought back. This scene made me cry because it, one, it's very intense, but also there is this unbelievably weird emotional self-sacrifice that Lottie is taking here and she just right. takes it. It's it's really just upsetting to watch. And you think you think Lottie's dead and Shauna shakes her and and I felt like they would probably leave it there. And mm-hmm. that's your cliffhanger. But it's Lottie. She probably magic. She takes this kind of staggering breath just before it cuts to black and spits blood from between her broken teeth. And Shauna goes outside and ices her bleeding knuckles. And it's just incredibly bleak stuff. And you'd think that that was where the episode would end because it was so horrific and shocking and you sort of can't really take any more. But no. The show still wants you to have an anxiety attack, still wants Shauna to have an anxiety attack, wants to leave you as on edge as possible. <laughs> so Jeff, brilliant, another brilliant Jeff moment, he calls Camp Green Pine and very aware that his phone may be bugged. Good. This is a good, uh, good <laughs> call by Jeff. Very good call by Jeff. He says, hey, Shauna. And <laughs> Shauna in a good mum moment says, how's Callie? Did something happen? No. Hey, Shauna. Um, so some bad news. Remember that guy that you got into a crash with and he was missing yeah. and the police were interested in him? Well, it turns out they found his remains. Remember yeah. him, Adam? We didn't have anything to do with it, but, you know, yeah. sounds like they found him in this park. Uh, cool. Have a good trip. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. And uh, that's the end of the episode. So Adam's remains are now in play, guys. I feel like we got some, as you mentioned, some really good evidence for either either the either the present timeline is happening first mm-hmm. somehow, or they're happening at the same time, and these are two versions of the same people who are being informed by the events yes. in the other time. Very looperish. Like somehow yes. the time there is a correlation between what is happening in both timelines. I'm so interested. There is two episodes left of this season. We have ended up in an outrageous situation where we have two episodes left of this and two episodes left of succession. I don't know how they're gonna wrap it up. I have zero ability to call this one. I could not make a bet. I would not be on market moves. Both shows, honestly. Both shows. I would love to know. I mean there was that great video that you shared in our like pre-pro chat where it was the guy who plays Carl from Succession right. and he's like, you will never guess. He's like you whatever you think you might know about the way it's gonna end, you will never guess. David Rash. We'll yeah. have the uh, we'll have the uh, link to that uh, video because it's the, very in, good in the show notes. Yeah, he uh, says 
you may think that you can predict it, but you never will. Which leads me to believe that everything that we have guessed at is completely wrong. wrong. Yeah, I know. And that's, I feel like Succession has that tendency too. I mean, Yellow Jackets has that potential too, where there's so much that they have to do in two episodes. They have to wrap certain things up, but they also have to set up conflict for the third season. They have to give us a certain amount of answers so that people will stay invested but they also have to leave us with a lot of questions. So it's going to be a really interesting next couple of weeks. That's going to be incredible. Up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory that you're excited to share, Nick shares a bloody Yellow Jackets theory. Nick says, this came to mind hearing your theory that Shauna's nosebleed landing on the symbol was related to the birds falling to their deaths. Misty suggests it is related to the iron in the ground. What is known for its iron content? Blood, which we have been seeing a lot of symbolism around. Could that be the link? Also, when you're pregnant, like Shauna, you also need more iron than normal. Could be part of a supernatural explanation for some of the strange happenings as the show progresses, but this might not explain the significance of the symbol. Do the symbols point to iron rich or light areas or something? Mm. Okay, that's probably a stretch, but still, Nick, this is very interesting. This is very I, interesting. Um, I have been thinking more and more about the symbols, and I now, this is based on nothing other than our own navel-gazing. Mm -hmm. But I have been trying to decipher the symbol as a kind of pictorial representation of intersecting timelines. You have, like, one timeline Ooh. coming in this way, you have other ones coming in this way, and then they all meet in the middle somehow. Um, is that it? I don't know, but seeing that symbol... Every, like, let me ask you this. This is going back an episode. We there's that pullout shot mm -hmm. of uh, Lottie's cult camp, and we see that the the chairs in this outdoor kind of uh, arena are are set up in the shape of the symbol. Do you think she did that on purpose? Yeah, I mean, she. They actually, I noticed this week, and they they actually use they they have little uh symbol like necklaces with the symbol on if they're in her yeah. cult. So I think that leans into Lottie's idea that it's some kind of protection. But how much does she realize that could be happening on like a grander scale at the cult? I'm very interested in. I also think this theory is interesting because I feel like the symbol is something they have to answer this season. Yes. And the iron thing is interesting because Lottie says that the symbol is for protection. And in like medieval folklore and also like fantasy, iron is always something that was used against magic or to protect against witches and stuff. So maybe there's something in there with the blood and the iron content and kind of how that may be impacting the girls. Though I will also say, I do think both of us have moved away from the more logical explanations that we used to think like the is it an iron rich area and they're hallucinating based on what they're eating out of the ground like is it an army base i still think i would be very surprised if that was the route they went at this point because i feel like they're doing so much supernatural adjacent work though i will say this is i think it would be a stretch and i think they would have to really commit to it in a very deep and serious way that would probably take a whole season 
I do think there is a version of this show where it's just about the impact of trauma and there's actually yes. nothing supernatural and there's nothing weird. It's just how they experience that terrifying time and how that kind of bleeds into their daily life now. But I think that would be almost, you'd have to take almost like a Barry level switch to be able to explain that away, I feel like. Thinking about the iron and this, you know, one of the things I've been wondering, there's, you know, in uh, fairy folklore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in various um, various cultures that have like fairy folklore, like one of the facets of fairy folklore is that they'll throw this huge feast and a party for people and if you eat their wonderful food then all of a sudden you be you are yeah like greek mythology too yeah who eats the pomegranate you know you end up trapped in the world of the dead and i you know i don't know if a fairy thing is going on but it does feel like certainly with the imagery around the initial cannibal Mm -hmm. incident it does feel like they they have eaten of this magical feast and now are trapped yep. somehow. What does that mean? I don't know, but it feels I increasingly think it has to be it just has to be supernatural. I think so too. And also like if we're going back to the symbol, I think you could say the symbol does look like a fairy. The dress with all the different things coming out of it. I would I would wow. love for them to do I I love like hard fantasy stuff like that. There's this great series of books by Holly Black set in like the world of the fae folk. And that taught me a lot about those kind of rules and things like, you know, iron being used to repel fairies. And I would absolutely love if they did like a big swing, like scary, the antler queen is a fairy. And this was them kind of taking part in this feast of the fae who eat, who do eat humans, who have this terrifying yeah. kind of thing. And they are now part of that world and kind of partially half in, half out of that world would also work as a kind of version of our final destination theory where they're basically stuck in between two worlds and are being hunted down by something from both. I'm in. Now that's it. Yellow Jackets, fairy show. That's my, I'm into it. That's my, that's my head cannon now. It's all fairies. Thanks so much, Nick. If you have theories and passions you want to share, hit us up, x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. That's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Plugs, 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 plugs. plugs. You can find me here twice a week. You can find me at Rosie Marks on Letterboxd and Instagram. I have a really cool newsletter that I run called Rosie Recommends, where I recommend cool stuff. And once again, as I will be doing, I'm sure we will be doing until the end of the strike, which does not look like it is in view anytime soon. I am saying support the WGA. Jason is a member. These are the people who make these shows that we love. These are people who enable us to go on these incredible journeys. And for a lot of us, that's something that we would want to join one day too. We want to tell those stories and they're fighting for us. You can join the picket lines. They shared the picket lines for this week on their social media, WGA and East and WGA West. And yeah, support. You can support the Entertainment Community Fund to help writers who are currently on strike and not earning money. And you can share posts, share social media posts, share news. Let people know that you support the people who make these shows. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision on Friday, May 19th. We're going to be discussing video games. If you're anything like uh, either of us, then your ability to be a productive member of society has taken a major major hit with the release of 
uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is currently <laughs> uh, entrancing millions, hundreds of millions around the globe. Star Wars Jedi Survivor. We're going to be talking about the upcoming release of Diablo 4. We're going to be talking about all the games we're playing. We're going to be talking about Dead Island 2. We're going to be talking about all Ooh, the yeah. stuff that we are playing right now. It's a great time for video games. And I'm going to actually add a plug. If you are someone who's like, oh, I really want to play Zelda, I have a Switch, but it's $70. Guess what? If you are part of Nintendo Switch Online, which I'm guessing most people are because you need it to play online, you can buy game vouchers that allow you to buy two games for $50 each that so costs like a hundred bucks but you can buy any two games and it means that they cost $50 so you can get $20 off Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom obviously only spend your game voucher on a game that costs $50 or up but for Ze- Zelda that's a big change because this is one of our first ever $69.99 games and it's worth every penny subscribe to us on YouTube where you can watch full episodes of the show and check out our discord meet and hang out with tons of amazing fans and listeners plus rosie and i we're there we're discussing we're doing it with you we're doing all of that five star ratings five five five, five 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 we gotta have them you gotta give them to us here is one from tandy t yay you guys are great thank you Appreciate i wrote a it. long thing about how great this pod is then felt weird and deleted it and posted this in <laughs> 15 out of 10 recommend thank you Tandy. thank you t. relatable appreciate you X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Ewa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you all next time. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.